Right. Welcome to the podcast. I am Aaron Frost. Oi! Just kidding. I'm not actually Aaron, but I will be trying to do the best job I can to emulate him today on the Adventures in Angular podcast. We're excited for the session we have today. Coming in from a very, very tropical place, we have Brian. Hi there. Coming from you poolside here in Curacao, where it's nice and warm. Do you have any idea what kind of birds are chirping in the background? I have no idea, but they're brightly colored and very pretty. So I'll say that. I'm not a technical birder by any means. (laughs) Love it. All right, and uh, we are super excited and delighted today to have Loyeni interviewing with us. So she is a content creator, does a lot of content in Portuguese. And so we're going to be asking her what that life looks like of creating content and kind of discuss some of the language barriers uh, that we not be, may not be aware of as, as English speakers. So would you like to introduce yourself to our podcast audience and talk a little bit about what you do? Hi, everyone. First, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast. So I'm Loiani. Um, I'm originally from Brazil, although I live in, in Tampa, Florida, also kind of tropical as well. <laughs> so I'm an Angular GDE. As you mentioned, I create most of my content in Portuguese, uh, especially for the, the public in Brazil, since there is a lack of content in, in our language and most of the content out there is, is also in English. So that kind of helps a little bit. And so I have a blog and also a YouTube channel where mostly of my content is on Angular and also Java. That's awesome. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started down this content creation path? What inspired you? So it started almost 10 years ago. So it's been a while. <laughs> I was still in college. So most of my time I was spending playing video games. And uh, I was also working during the day and at night just spending playing video games. Okay, quick I... question. What video games? <laughs> um, yeah, we need to know. This is, this is critical this information. Is crucial. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners so, are on their edge, like the edge of their seat. So it was a game called Sacred, but nowadays I'm more into World of Warcraft. So that kind of sort of RPG playing games. Did they just come out with like nice. an OG throwback version of World of Warcraft? Was I reading about that? I've been off the, I've been off the WoW train for like a couple of years now. They have a new expansion now uh, announced for next year, so I'm excited about that. Okay, so you hoarder alliance because <laughs> we completely derailed the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I like to play, play both, but my main uh, character is on alliance. Gotcha. And what class? I play as a mage, a human mage. Cool. Brian, did you ever do well? 
I did not. That's why you're asking these questions that I'm going, <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. But I love yeah. playing, I play uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild is kind of the game that I've been just really digging the last couple of months. So Nice. But. All right. And back to uh, what we were actually supposed to be talking about. So you're playing a lot of video games and... And I wanted to do something more useful with my time. And then I started blogging. I was in my first internship, so I wanted to kind of document what I was learning and also for my future self, because we we never know when whenever we're going to need something that we used before. So I started blogging first. I started with my uh, blog in Portuguese, which is uh, loyani.com. After I graduated, I had an opportunity to move to Sao Paulo in Brazil and work for a uh, major company. And in this company, we were using English uh, as a to communicate with each other, with our managers, email, everything. And then I decided that I needed to improve my English a little bit more and also try to write a little bit more. And then I started blogging in, in English as well. And then it all started. After that, I got opportunity to, to write a book as well in English with a framework that I was working back then. And it kind of became part of my, my day-to-day to also do my, my daily job, you know, nine to five. And then at night, I spent a little bit more time trying to study and document what I'm studying. I love that you mentioned that one of the things that you like to blog about is just things that you are learning or things that you want to remember so that way you can come back. And I talk to people sometimes in the community. They're like, oh, I'd love to like start blogging, right? I don't know what to write about. And I often kind of share my similar experience. It's like, I just, I blog about things that I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting, or I solved this problem, or I need to remember this. So that way in two months when I Google this, my own blog comes back up. So that way I can be like, oh, that's right. That's how you do this, right? So it's it's almost like you're kind of like self-documenting things that you learn and your discoveries. So I really love that. That's cool. What's the book that you wrote? Uh, what was the topic? It was about Sanjay XJS. It was the um, JavaScript framework I was working back then. So there was not a lot of content, uh, especially on the things that I, would, I needed to do it for my job, like dynamic uh, grade content for uh, columns, dynamic columns and getting, you know, everything was dynamic. So I had to somehow render that in the, in the front end. And then there was no, nothing related about that, only one uh, forum post. And then from that, I was able to find out what I needed to do. And then I decided to start documenting it. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. I was about to say, I feel like that technology, I've seen that in the consulting world still being used. Do you still get book sales from it? Not as much as before, but it's still selling. That's awesome. I was going to say, like, I love the the documentation blogging. I feel like somebody had just tweeted about that the other day as they learn. And I'm curious on both your opinions on this, because I've done that in the past. And then I'll write something, I'll figure out like a way to at least push through a problem that I haven't seen any documentation on. And then like, Four months later, I will figure out a much better way to do it. And I'm always like on the fence of like, do I go back? Do I edit that former blog post? Like, what, what do you think? It's a good question. <laughs> I'll let Loani go first. <laughs> you, you can do both. You know, you have your original, um, your original documentation, or original blog post. And then if you find something better later, you can just write a new version, maybe go back and link it, you know, edit it out saying, hey, there's a newer version that you can also try it out because we, we never know right from for all the cases and requirements that we have maybe the first option will work best for some people maybe the second option will work best from some other people 
I think that's a really good answer too. I love that. Cause, and there's also like, sometimes people, you may write something on an older version. Like I've got, you know, blog posts out there that are like Angular 4, Angular 6, and there's still people that are on Angular 4 and Angular 6, and they still need that content as well. So whether you find like a new way to do it, I, it's, it's a hard question. Like sometimes I've had people like in comments ask, like, can you update this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. We'll do (laughs) that. I forget to, or but I try to keep like a markdown file where I just have like a queue of things that uh, if I get to I have a chance to kind of come back and either fix or update or these kinds of things. So yeah, I guess kind of, it's hard to make a decision there, but you just do whatever you can. Well, that totally makes sense. I just saw this article the other day that we'll link in the show notes, but it was talking about frameworks and UI libraries used on desktop right now. React is number one. Guess what number two is? Spoiler alert, uh, don't look at the article. I don't know. Angular.js. Uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So it's like there's still so much like legacy code out there that, yeah, it's important to support. But back to content creation, what are some of like the most important things that you've learned? Because obviously you've been doing this for a long time. Like, are there any like key things that stick out to you that um, you've learned is, is really important or good, good uh, things to know about creating good content? I believe it's the best thing is to write content that you feel like writing it. So you want to write about, um, sometimes people are very worried about, Oh, if I write about this, people will not read it. So don't, don't worry about that. Just write about what you want to, what you enjoy, uh, because it's also important for you to have fun because if it's something that you, you don't enjoy, in the long term, you're going to stop doing that. And then, you know, you have to enjoy what you're doing to do as well. So if you want to write just a hello world, and even though you, you think that it's very simple, it might also help people that are starting with it. So go write a hello world and you'll be helping a lot of people with that as well. Or write something about complex as well if you enjoy to do that. Okay, I have something that might be a very personal question. How many like half started, half written like draft blog posts do you have? The last time uh, when I, I I did migrate my blog from WordPress to um, to another engine, and I had like fifty or so, <laughs> or maybe ideas. Just drafts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. I'm not keeping the files anymore, but I have like a markdown on a gist with all the ideas that I have, and sometimes those ideas are there for. Even six months, if I still feel like doing that, I'm going to write it. But sometimes I just discard a draft and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask if you have a strategy for that. Because me personally, like maybe I'll be um, like sitting in an airport waiting to get on a plane and I like get like, I don't know, a quarter of a blog post out and then it'll just sit there. Do you have any strategies for like making sure you're diligent about pushing out content? Not so much because... <laughs> As I mentioned, uh, if it takes too long for me, then maybe it's not worth it to to keep doing that. But it's something that if you if you feel that it, you really like to do, just push it. And, and that's another thing as well. Sometimes we try to polish all the content as much as we can, but it's never going to be perfect. So just push the the first version that you feel like it's it's okay, and then you can always go back and edit it out and, you know, fix all the typos that you might have missed. Uh, people will also point that out for you. So <laughs> you always yeah, have a chance to improve it. Yeah, I totally agree. I've definitely done the same. And then sometimes it's kind of fun because then you get to come back and kind of update it and tweak it a second time. And I like this. I'll go to blog posts and it'll be like, oh, updated. 
you know, June, 2019, even though it was posted, I don't know, let's just say a year prior or six months prior. And it kind of makes it feel fresh again, you know, and it's like, Oh, okay. This is, this has been updated. It's, it's kind of like alive. So that's cool. Are there any things you wish you would have known when you started? Um, so you could have, I don't know, been, been more productive or pragmatic. Back when I started, we didn't have like Today, you can just go to Dev2 or Medium and write. You don't have to worry anything about infrastructure. Back then, you had to have your own hosting services. So I didn't know anything about that. That was like a nice journey to, because I, I love learning new things. So it was good to learn all about that. And nowadays, it's much easier. So if you want to just start writing, you can just go to uh, Dev2 or Medium, create your account and start writing it. And there are other platforms as well. Even if you want to do something that is uh, self-hosted, there is uh, GitHub pages that you can also use. You can start your own, um, I don't know, use Gatsby or uh, Joko or, or anything that is out there. And even host and GitHub and everything is also free, so you don't have to pay for anything. So that's something that I really like. It, it will be nice to have all, the, all these things <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> Very cool. So, uh, Luani, do you do any? Are you involved in the local community at all? It's, I mean, you do a lot of content creation. Um, you said you're located in Tampa. Do you have a chance to kind of get engaged and share some of your knowledge with the local community uh, in Tampa? Not here in Tampa. There are some meetups, uh, but they're not like very active. Uh, but there are okay. some meetups in Orlando. It's just an hour and a oh, half cool. uh, from here. Okay. So there's a Dev Fest season, also the DGG group. So. Kind of in the video production side of things, I was curious, do you have any recommendations on, so you, you said you do a YouTube channel, right? We've talked a lot about written content. Maybe kind of what if we segue a little bit here and talk a little bit about video production and what are some suggestions that maybe you have for people to get started with creating content and, and making videos? That would be kind of like similar of the writing content. So just get out there. A lot of people, sometimes they want to start on YouTube, but then, hey, I have to buy some lightning and I have to buy a nice microphone and I have I need to have a nice computer to do all the processing. So you actually don't need all of that. Um, and there are also different types of video that you can do. There are a lot of video tutorials. I, for once, I, I only do like... I record my screen and me talking at the background and that's it. I don't show myself for that. And um, you can do only that as well. So that that is easier. All you need to do is just a software to capture your screen and a microphone. I actually started with the, with the microphone that came with my iPhone. So that was my first, it's actually a good microphone. So you can, you can start using that. And where I lived, it was not a quiet place. So there was a lot of uh, background noise with, motorcycles and buses so if you go like three four years ago with my my videos you'll hear an, a lot of noise and uh, some people might think okay that's a little bit annoying but when people like your content they will still watch it you know they will complain hey yeah. you know a lot of background noises it's, but it's also free right so it's like come on you can't complain that much right <laughs> i'm giving you free content <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, uh, if you want to start, just get the microphone that you have and uh, start uh, recording your videos, put out there. You're going to get feedback from your audience as well. And with time, you can improve, you know, buy a new microphone or maybe a new computer. But that's, you know, you, you can see how it goes and then decide what to do from there. 
Yeah, that's cool. And are you using like a particular recording software? Do you use like Camtasia or something like that? Or do you use something kind of more built into either Windows or Mac? I use ScreenFlow for Mac. So it's the okay. only software that I've learned to use, but it's very similar to Camtasia, right? So Nice. Yeah. So it makes it pretty easy to just start recording the screen and, and just go for it. And then do you find yourself doing a lot of editing or do you just kind of cut it raw and, and go for it? That's my least favorite part, actually. <laughs> I think that's everybody's least favorite part other than hearing yourself talk. Cause I don't know about you, but like you hear yourself and you're like, do I really sound like that? That's not me. <laughs> right. That's the other thing. It's like when you're editing, you're listening to yourself constantly and you're just critiquing your own words and, and voice inflections and that. But yeah, tell us a little bit about your editing experience. So as I mentioned, I only record my screen, so it's kind of easier to edit it out. Sometimes when I say something that I shouldn't, I try to make pauses between whatever I'm doing. So it's easier for me to to edit and cut the part. So it's basically just record and cut whatever I don't need to. Sometimes speed up some of the processing, you know, when you're, I don't know, downloading, uh, doing NPM stall that takes a while. So just cut the part out and then try to shorten the video a little bit, like to 10, 15 minutes, so people will actually watch it, most part of your video. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. I think that's a good recommendation, especially for people that are listening that are like, yeah, I'd love to get into creating videos. Just go for it. And you can always re-record, you can always edit. When I first got started with doing some video courses many, many, many years ago for a company, I felt like I had to do the first, like the, the whole recording had to be perfect, right? Like I didn't make any mistakes in my code. I didn't you know, jumble my words or say something incorrectly or not technically uh, correct. And I kind of got over that pretty quickly because first of all, that's just almost impossible to do. And I kind of learned a trick. I wonder if you do the same thing. Whereas like if I kind of make a mistake, I just leave a pause or I learned this from Joe Eames, kind of tap the microphone and you'll see on the audiograph like this, like whack, like a big spike, right? And you just kind of like whack, whack, tap the microphone. It's like a marker almost. And then leave a nice blank space and then just restart the sentence or restart the code where it's like, yeah, I made a huge mistake. And now we just keep going. And then you just come in afterwards with Camtasia or or whatever. And I'm not pushing Camtasia by any means. Come in with your editing tool and just clip that out and boom, it's gone. And then all of a sudden, it's not so bad. And sometimes the flow is not perfect. Like the mouse might jump a little bit or whatever, but it's close enough, I find. Is that something, do you do something similar or kind of what's your trick there? Yeah, kind of similar. I just don't do the microphone thing, but I usually just... I learned that from Joe. So if you if you just whack the head of the microphone, just like a fake tap, you'll see in the audiograph just this huge spike, right? And then you know, oh, I got to come back here and, and do something. It's kind of like a little visual indicator. So so thanks to Joe Eames for that one. It's a good, good tip. Also, another important tip is uh, to keep consistency as well. So if you're planning to do one video a month, try to stick with that. I have an issue with that because sometimes I try to do one video a week. So it's too much with the other things I have going on with my life. But whenever I can, I try to post at least one small video a week. So people know that I'm still there. I'm still active within the channel. That's a really good. So I'm interested. How do you make time to do all of this? You know, um, I assume you have a full time job, right? So how do you kind of squeeze this in? You know, if I'm again, if I'm listening to this and it's like I, I don't have time to do this, like kind of what's your what's your suggestion there? In the beginning, it's always difficult for you just to find a time. 
But once you get used to it, it's kind of like go to the gym in the first uh, few days. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to work out anymore tomorrow. But once you start going to the gym for a while, then you get used to doing it. And then you can go every day. So right? habit, habit building. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's easier said than done, though, right? <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's sure. like going to the gym every week. It's like, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before, but okay. <laughs> Very cool. I like it. So I'm just curious about if you do any like sort of metrics or tracking. Like I know YouTube has a lot of stuff built in. Um, do you do that? Do you have any strategies? Like how do you figure out how to tail your content or how to like, do you use this as a revenue stream at all? So revenue, because the channel is not that big, so it doesn't generate a lot of revenue, but what it generates in it's enough for to pay for the servers and no keep the pay for the domain. So th- th- those simple things that you have to do every year. So that's okay. For the analytics, it's also nice sometimes uh, because you can find a little bit more about your audience. Sometimes they want a, a particular topic or they're for, for, from a particular region. So you can al- also find that out and also helps you to plan for new content. And one thing that I also like to do is also ask for feedback in every video. So if people, uh, if I if I told anything that was incorrect, people can also correct me and then I can do another video saying about that. And also with their feedback, maybe they're looking for a particular type of tutorial can also plan on that. So that's also kind of cool. I love the idea of asking for feedback, but I know how brave that is on YouTube because you'll have people who genuinely care. And then you have just awful people on the internet. Like, how do you deal with YouTube trolls and not letting that affect your, your confidence and your ability to create valuable content? Nowadays, everyone is more like calm. Everyone is very polite in the comments. So I like that. Thank you, everyone that is watching the videos and making polite comments. In the beginning, there's also going to be trolls and haters. But I find if you don't engage with them, after some time, they will go away. They will get tired of trying to fight with you if you don't don't reply back. So that's my strategy. And it has been working so far. Don't feed the trolls. Got it. So we haven't really touched on on the work you do with with content creation in Portuguese. So I'm just curious because I love language and I think it's really interesting just the evolution of language and, and how we communicate. So just being a native Portuguese speaker and learning not only like a programming language, but a programming language written in English, what sort of struggles do people run into when, when they first start um, learning how to code uh, not being a native English speaker? So in college, there is usually one language that is used. It's not like a real language. It's called Portugal. It's kind of like the basic uh, commands written in Portuguese. So it's easier for people to learn how to code using their own language. And then slowly what the teachers will do, they will start introducing the commands in English. So my first language in college was Ascal. So it's kind of really... (laughs) really old, but it was very like simple. And after that, I I learned Java. So when I got to Java and when we have like object-oriented programming, that was kind of easier to do this transition from Portuguese to to English. What happens is um, there are a lot of people that start, try to start coding and they don't know English. So that's it. It it is a barrier that, that we currently have. And we're trying to, you know, improve over time. Okay, so now like, I want to ask random questions like, how do you say for loop in Portuguese? Enquanto. Enquanto. 
Yes. Interesting. Okay. So like, is it, is it something that's like a, a logical transition? Do you, like, and is that what you do is you take like the English, like, do you say if statement in Portuguese and like, is that how your brain thinks about it? Yeah. So uh, for, for every, like for if else, we also have the, the words in Portuguese for this, uh, this language that I told you about, uh, Portugal. When we start coding, we, we don't have a computer so you're not going to be able to run your code in the, uh, at first. So you have to write in a piece of paper. So it, it makes kind of sense. And um, there is a, a group of uh, people in Brazil, they actually created an editor so you can run the code in Portuguese. So that actually helps. So when you are transitioned oh, to something cool. nice. like a real language, yeah, yeah. It, it helps a lot. That's awesome. Is that a tool that you can um, link in the in the chat window so we can include that in the show notes? I think that's really interesting. Sure, I'll do. Sweet. Yeah, I was like all sorts of resources and maybe we can uh, help a, a Portuguese audience figure out some other stuff. Are there any just like weird things or, or weird translations that you've run into that are just amusing or kind of bizarre? No, because uh, uh, the, the basics, you know, the if, else, the for loop, while, and... Uh, all the other statements, we have the literal tran- uh, translation in Portuguese. So it, it kind of works. So not nothing weird in that sense. Because <laughs> I know that like sometimes between languages, there are words that there's absolutely no literal translation for. They might have a word that maybe is a word that describes something that we would make an actual phrase out of in English. So that's always really interesting. So Angular updates fairly often. Do you find yourself getting a lot of requests for um, kind of taking Angular update information and translating that into Portuguese for Portuguese developers? Yes, there is an is initiative. It's kind of like uh, off topic for now. It's not nothing official, but we wanted to translate the the documentation to Portuguese because there are really nice tutorials. The Angular team has been doing a great job on that. So it will be nice to have it translated. I believe there is a translation for uh, Japanese or Korean, if I'm not mistaken. I think um, so. I think there's links at the bottom of angular.io for those languages. If, yes. I think I've seen those. Yeah, yeah. But a challenge will be since there's always something new in the documentation, how we'll, we'll be able to keep it up updated, you know, whenever the Angular team updates it. And then we have to do the update as well. So is this something that like the Portuguese development community could get involved with? Um, If they want to start, you know, becoming open source contributors, could they go and start making pull requests against this to create documentation? And I just ask because I've never like looked and and seen how that process works, even from the Angular side. Yeah, I know that the Ionic team is started doing that right now. So they have engaged the, the community for now. So there are people helping with that, but there is a whole infrastructure in place so people from different countries can contribute with their own language. It would be nice to have that something for, for Angular as well, but I know that they will have to change everything the way that the, the, the current documentation it is right now. But maybe we can fork it and um, start doing the translation. We did that, we did that with the NG Girls uh, tutorial. So we actually have a version in Portuguese and also in Spanish that I know of. So we did fork the the, the tutorial and then translated every file. And whenever they do an update, we keep our eye, uh, our eyes open on that. And um, we try to engage the community as well to help with the translation and do the same thing in Portuguese. So we kind of have to do this double work. Whenever there is an update, we have to know about it so we can also apply the same in the Portuguese version. 
Well, actually, that's what I was going to ask about, because I know um, NG Girls has a good model for that translation, and they're built on top of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Django Girls, that was kind of the original program, and they were always really good about encouraging people to go in and take their curriculum and translate it into other languages, and I think that's just one of the most powerful things that we can do as developers and as you know, people who want to get into open source contribution is, is doing that translation work, so I think that's really awesome. Have you been involved with any um, Portuguese uh, NG Girls events? Yeah, we, we help the translation and then they run one in Rio. So right now there is a group, they wanted to run one in Sao Paulo as well. So we're excited about that. That's awesome. That is uh, awesome. Yeah, and then Brian, you said you had a question. I'll let you go. Yeah, I was wondering, are you doing any blogs or videos for Angular version 9? So, you know, as of the recording right now, I think RC1 is released, but any anything there? Yeah, that's something that I'm planning to do. So in my YouTube channel, I have this free course in Angular, in Portuguese. So I have more than 100 videos already. So every time there is a new language, and I started doing that when Angular was in version 2. So whenever there is a new version, I try to create a video and show what has changed from one version to the other. And also use a sample project and, and show how to upgrade that project from version to version. So that's also kind of cool to do. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay. Um, And I'm kind of like just creeping through your blog like a creeper creeper. And you've got a lot of just really great um, Angular content for people getting started. So for any Portuguese speakers who may be listening to this podcast, um, absolutely check out the show notes to see Loyani's blog and get some great information there. It looks like you do a bit with Java too. Like what does your day job look like right now um, for, for what you're doing? So I've always been a Java developer as well. So I've used uh, Java on the back end and, and in the front end, uh, I used to work with uh, EXJS, but now I'm using uh, Angular. So it's Angular on the front end and then Java on the back end. Sometimes a little bit of Node.js on the back end as well, especially with Nest.js. It's a framework that I'm also enjoying to work with. Very cool. Brian, any more questions? No, I just want to thank you for coming on the show and telling us about your blog and everything that you're doing. And thank you for all of your contributions, especially not just for Angular, but also everything that you've done for the Portuguese community and the tech community. That's really awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So do you have any other final thoughts for the audience? Uh, advice for anybody who wants to get into content creation or, or work around translation? Yeah, I mean, uh, for the translations, there are also um, a lot of opportunities in Brazil. So just take a look at Twitter, do a, a little bit of a search. There are React, View, Angular communities. We're all always looking for help with translations. If you want to get started creating content, just go and uh, create your content being like a blog post or even a video I'm sure there will be people that will enjoy and you'll be helping also the community with that. Cool. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So before we wrap, one of the things we always do on this podcast is we um, each talk about a different pick we have. And this can be technology, it can be food, it can be absolutely anything. So I'll give you a couple minutes to think about what your pick might be. And mine is going to be really random. Um, But I was in New Zealand last month. Like since I've started traveling more, I'm super into merino wool. So if anybody doesn't know about merino wool... It's good uh, stuff. Right? Yeah. uh, It's very good for... um, 
body temperature control. So like really good for workout gear, but I'll only pack in a carry on. And so I really like the fact that I can um, wash it in my hotel room and it dries really, really quickly. So it's way better than cotton or a lot of other materials for that. And uh, when I was in New Zealand, I snagged a new icebreaker merino wool jacket that I am obsessed with. So merino wool is my pick of the podcast. That's awesome. (laughs) I do have a pick. I don't know if I can compete with that. I mean, merino wool. Oof. Does it only come from New Zealand? Um, No, I don't. uh, I have no idea. I don't feel like so. I think they've just like kind of put it on the map as a thing. And they're like Iceland where they're just like sheep everywhere. So gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Let's see. My pick is, I don't want to mess up the name. And if I do, I apologize. But Justin Ribirio, Alyssa Nichol actually retweeted this. And I was checking it out. He created a lighthouse action on GitHub. So you can use Lighthouse, uh, like CI, uh, as a GitHub action for all your PRs to uh, see what your Lighthouse score is. So literally, like think about like web performance. We've got all these PRs and developers are constantly, you know, either you know adding to the code or modifying it, right? And we don't, you know, maybe there's like one person in your organization that like once a week maybe checks your Lighthouse score. You have some sort of process around that that's more manual driven. And this is like a fully automated way to use the Lighthouse bot as uh, a GitHub action. Uh, so I'll link to it in the show notes and you can check it out. It looks really cool. I have not played with it, I will say that, but it looks really, really cool. So so thank you to oh, Justin who created that for us. That sounds amazing. Um, and if that sounds amazing to anybody else, um, not to like completely like shut that down, but there is another tool out there that I actually talk about at conferences a lot called Pally. And you can integrate it with your um, testing processes uh, to have it run accessibility tests. Um, It just runs on top of HTML code sniffer. So tons of things that you can do to make sure that you're creating accessible products before they get out. I've not heard of that. Is it, how do you uh, spell it? P-A-1-1-Y. So like Allie. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. It's your accessibility pal. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. I like it. Nice. Have we done a podcast on accessibility lately? We should do that. And just like talk about I don't know if we have. Yeah, that would be really fun. Rabbit hole. Okay. Anyway, so those are our picks. Uh, have you been a? Do you ha, do you have a pick in mind? I do actually. I'm obsessed right now with Angular Ivy. That uh, right now it's on the RC version, so we're very close to have the the final version with the Angular team, and they have been working for this for a long time. So I can't wait to upgrade my projects and put it in production. That's a, a great pick. I actually just updated two projects this week. And I was really impressed with the update process. With all the schematics and everything, it really does a lot for you. Now, these projects, I would say, are more like the small to medium t-shirt size. So if you've got like a large or even bigger project, I think there are definitely some deprecations and some changes that you might run into. And with the, I think the type checking is much stronger now uh, with templates. And so you might have some build issues. But those build issues are actually... Uh, mostly going to be a positive thing and that you're going to find bugs that you didn't know existed already. So yeah, very excited to see this kind of come out and and hopefully land into production and to builds uh, all around the world. Exciting. Also, I just realized that I have not said like nearly enough oys pretending to be Aaron. Oh so no. Oi, 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 oi. That's the end of our podcast. Oi, hope you enjoyed it. Oi, check out the show notes. Oi, I hope I'm not supposed to say anything about sponsors. Oi. I, I don't think like, so. I think they take care of all that. Okay. I was like, crap, <laughs> what we'll else get, does Aaron we'll have Aaron just, we'll just like edit him in into the middle. 
Uh, well, you did great. Thank you for hosting today, Jennifer. Really appreciate it. Thank you for helping me host, co-host, act, yeah. question asking. And uh, thank you so much to Loyani for being a fantastic yeah, guest and so panelist. Much. Really interesting topics that I don't think we've really talked about before on this podcast. So thank you so much for, for spending your time with us. Thank you. And thank you both. Adventures in Angular is a devchat.tv production made in partnership with Hero Devs. Hero Devs is a group of Angular experts who can help your team code like true developer heroes. If your team needs an Angular expert, reach out to Aaron at hero.dev today. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.